listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. My name is Ricardo, and uh, I'm part of the teach team here and part of the worship team as well. Um, today, we're going to be talking about John chapter 17, uh, the, highly, the high priestly prayer. Um, and so if you haven't been for or along for the ride that we've been on, uh, let me remind you of where we are. We are in the book of John. We're in the gospel of John. We've been doing this series called From Glory to Glory. We started it during the Christmas season um, as we studied the incarnation through John 1, and we've been just going through most of the content, though it's really hard in this limited amount of time to do the gospel of John in full detail. And so I'll just give you a reminder that we do often here. Make sure that the Gospel of John is part of your reading time throughout the week, part of your devotional time, because it's just really hard for us to hit all of the details. There's just so much. And the beauty of the Gospel of John is that it's not written in a complex way, and yet it's both simple and complex. It's really uh, a beautiful Gospel. Um, If I had to give a title to today's sermon, it would be Unity. The one thing, the one important thing that a lot of Christians simply miss, including myself. Unity, the one important thing that a lot of Christians miss. They just don't get it. I'm not saying all Christians miss the point on unity, but a lot of us do, including myself. See, unity is, it's, it's just one of those topics that, at least for me, I'm always ready to talk about it theoretically from the gospel. Talk about, well, in the, excuse me, in the, in the letter of Ephesians, Paul tells us that Jesus basically brought down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and we no longer see race as a dividing thing or ethnicity. And, and so I'm always ready to jump into why we are supposed to be united um, But sometimes we actually have to be a little more practical and talk about what unity looks like. And more importantly, um, we should probably think and meditate on how we fail to be uh, a church that's united. Now think about this. I mean, we, we often believe that the church should be united and that people in general throughout the U.S. should be united, and we want to find common ground. But in reality, in practice, we don't find the common ground at all. Um, I, I always remember this friend from high school. He lived in New York, and he, he told me once, I was at a Mets and Yankees game once, and it, even in New York, that could be pretty divisive. And so there, there, the, the crowd, there was a lot of fighting between Mets and Yankees fans. And so one guy, he tells me, my high school friend, one guy yells, hey, but at least we're all from New York, right? And then both the Yankee and the Mets fans turned around and said, shut the up! <laughs> shut the bleep up! <laughs> and so we can't even be united on the smallest things. That's just in sports. I mean, we have a lot of Dodgers fans here, am I right? Yeah? But if you, if, you're, if you bleed blue like me, if you're a Dodger fan, then you kind of had, have this uh, 
unofficial hatred towards the Giants and Giants fans. <laughs> it's not a real hatred, but you tell yourself that when in reality you kind of hate the Giants whenever they rub stuff in or whenever they try to be obnoxious. And, and it's just so funny because even in sports, we can be so divisive. I mean, uh, that's just in the West Coast. You go to the East Coast and, you know, uh, Red Sox and, and Yankees fans, those, those are really divisive. I mean, Brian, he's a huge Yankee fan. I mean, uh, Red Sox fan. <laughs> See? See what I mean? Point proven. <laughs> you know, we can't be united on the simplest things. When the, uh, when the, election, the presidential elections were around, everyone agreed that both Trump and Hillary were pretty bad. But we couldn't even agree. We didn't want to focus on agreeing on that. We wanted to say, but who's worse? Well, she's worse, but he's worse. It, it, it's just so funny that we can never agree on the essentials. You know, it, it, I was looking at a Pew Research uh, uh, a publication. This was, I think, uh, in February of this year. We're the most divided politically that we've ever been uh, in the last 20 or 30 years, I think. Um, we have very little common ground. I'm looking at a graph here. Basically, we kind of agree that jobs are important, uh, that social security is important, and then in everything else... Race, religion, uh, race relations, terrorism, environment, climate change, military, immigration, we're just so far apart, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. And it's crazy because when you look at the graphs uh, in years past, it wasn't the case. You know, when they tried to find this trend of what were the common issues, there was way more in common. But there's just such a huge divide. And, and the problem is, part of the divide has happened uh, in large part because, well, people usually feel they're not getting what they should get, and so they stick to divisiveness as a means to get what they want instead of using unity, which is the best way to do it. And it, it's, really, it, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm a mathematician. I teach mathematics at Cal Baptist University, and I've tried to study this mathematically, and there's plenty of studies on this. Uh, and I can't tell you what the full result is because it varies from discipline to discipline in math, but one thing I've seen is divisiveness breeds more divisiveness, mathematically. I mean, we know this intuitively, but when a person becomes divisive, our reaction is to become divisive as well. We don't try to say, well, wait a minute, come on, no, just, let's, let's bring the gap, let's close the gap between us. Divisiveness, divisiveness breeds divisiveness. And here's the funny part, we're in John chapter 17. Jesus is about to make his last prayer towards the cross. In John chapter 18, he's betrayed, arrested. He's going to the cross. He, he dies, and then he resurrects. And the big priority, there's a few things he hits in his prayer. All of John chapter 17 is his prayer. One of the key elements that he's really hitting at is unity. It was that important. Unity for the believers to come, not just for unity for the disciples that he had at the time, but unity for uh, the church to come. And it was so important to Jesus that Jesus, God the Son, prayed for it. He prayed for it. It was that important. John 17, we're just going to jump into, we're not going to read all of it. We're just going to focus on one aspect of it. I almost went nuts trying to find 
uh, you know, a way of talking about the whole prayer. But I'm just going to focus on the aspect that really uh, narrows unity down. And so we're just going to keep it brief. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. That's what we're going to be. If you have, uh, you know, your physical Bibles, your old school, I'll give you a moment to flip your page there. If you have your iPads and your iPhones, you're not on Instagram, for sure. <laughs> I know you guys are in the Bible there with me. Um, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus praying says, I do not ask for these only. He says that because he had been praying for his current disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and I loved them even as you loved me, and, and loved them, excuse me, even as you loved me. It, it seems that Jesus is saying, just very briefly, the, the one big observation is that if we are united the way the Father and the Son are united, the world's going to flip out. They won't understand it. Because indeed, look at the divisiveness that the world has. It's gone beyond the United States, by the way. I mean, look at Brexit. Look at, just look throughout the, whole na throughout the whole world. There's divisiveness. And so if the world could see a body of people that are so united that it looks like God, they'll believe in God. That's the essence of what Jesus is praying for. Now, if this were the prayer of someone else, I'd say, well, you know, maybe God doesn't have that plan. But this is the prayer of Jesus, God, the Son. He's praying for something that we should be striving, prioritizing for. We should be striving for it. But it's so hard to do. So, again, just looking very carefully at those verses, we see a few things, a few takeaway points. We're going to have three of them and then some some smaller points as well. The first main point that we take away is that unity, the unity and the diversity of the church, notice I threw in diversity there, the unity and diversity of the church is to be parallel to the unity and diversity of the Father and the Son. It's to be parallel to it. Notice, of course, as we said in verse 20, Jesus is praying for us, for you and for me. That's all of us, because he's praying for those who will believe in me through their word, the, the, the believers to come, the disciples to come. And he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Later, he says, may become perfectly one. Now, in those Four verses, he keeps repeating this over and over again, like it's an important deal. <laughs> He's praying for that perfect unity. Years ago, I was with Pastor Jason and a few others here at a CMA conference here in California, and we saw uh, Francis Chan preach on this, and it just blew my mind that he, he focused on, on not the fact that Jesus was calling us to be united, but the fact that he was calling us to be united the way the Trinity is united. And he paused for a moment. He said, I, I don't even know how to 
understand or process that. Jesus and the Father are distinct, diverse, but they are one, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Diversity and unity. This is mind-blowing. As, as Christians, most uh, Orthodox Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and He is God. The Father also is God. They are one God. They're not two gods. It's not like a Greek mythology. They are one God, and it's weird because they're one, but they're diverse. They're distinct from each other. And so how is it that they are so united that we call them one God, and we're supposed to mimic that as a church? That's mind-blowing. But if the world saw that unity, they'd, they'd scratch their heads and they'd say, I believe in God. <laughs> because that's just not possible. They're indistinguishable from each other, yet they are distinguishable. See, you have to be unity and diverse. I mean, look at those verses. Be very careful. It is saying that they may be one just as we are one. We, the Father in me, I in the Father. There is diversity, distinction between the personhood of Jesus and the Father, yet they are so united they are one. That's what we're supposed to mimic. We are supposed to strive to be the type of church that while we do have our differences, we do, we're opinionated. Some of you are Trump voters. Some of you are Hillary voters. Some of you didn't vote for either of them, right? And that we are so diverse and so opinionated, but we come together and we look like one entity, the way the Father and the Son are indistinguishable. Try to understand how indistinguishable they were. The disciples would ask Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus would say, do you not recognize me? Do you not see that I am the Father? Basically, he's saying that. Before Abraham was, I am. He's making huge claims. They are indistinguishable, yet they are diverse. And so the problem that we as a church have, that Christians miss consistently, is that we think that to be united, we have to all agree. <laughs> unity equals no diversity. No. That's not what unity is. Why would we be modeling the unity after the unity of the Father and the Son, who are two distinct persons within one trinity, one God, By the way, the Trinity is really hard to understand, and I'm not pretending that you and I are going to walk away understanding it. And so people, when they talk to me about the Trinity, they say, you're a mathematician, Ricardo, one plus one plus one is three, not one. I always tell them, well, infinity plus infinity plus infinity equals infinity. So <laughs> get your math right, okay? The triune, the triune math is some math we're not prepared for, <laughs> But that's the type of unity that we're supposed to mimic. The unity and diversity of the church is to be parallel to the, uh, to the unity and diversity of the Father and the Son. So don't expect to accomplish unity through agreement. This is true not just in church, but in marriages. This is true in how we interact with others of different ethnicity, culture, race, etc. You can't come to an agreement about everything. You were raised differently. You think differently. You talk differently. There are words you can't translate from one language into another. There are experiences you just haven't lived from that other person, but we can be united and diverse. Praise God that we can mimic that. 
the unity, point number two, the unity of the church is how the world will know that the Father sent Jesus out of love. The unity of the church is how the world will know that the Father sent Jesus out of love. I mean, as churches, especially in the U.S., different churches are constantly trying to develop strategy. And I remember Francis Chan talked about this when we saw him a few years ago. He's saying church after church comes, after, comes up with program after program. How are we going to be more effective to get people in through the door and to know Jesus and be saved? Let's do this. We do more uh, serving. We do serving and evangelizing. We do door to door. We invite them over for a movie night. We do this. We make sure that when they leave service, we talk to them. We interact. We... Jesus is saying the greatest evangelistic tool ever is to be united. So that when people walk through that door, they see a unity so contagious, they're like, God is here, I'm going to stay. That's what Jesus is focusing on. He doesn't give us a program. He doesn't give us a way to accomplish the unity. He doesn't give us a step-by-step list. He says, be united and people will come. You want the people to believe, don't use apologetics That's good, you can use that, but the primary tool to convince people to become a believer, even an atheist, is that you show them there's a God through supernatural unity. You gotta look like Jesus as a body, not individually necessarily, though that's also true. But what's really gonna get them is when they see that unity among diversity. Look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. He gives us the radiance, the display of looking like Jesus so that the world could see Jesus in us. We can't do this by ourselves. He's going to give us his magnificent, beautiful, glorious, brilliant radiance that's indistinguishably Jesus, he gives that to us as a body, and then we can be one. I have given them that glory that they may be one even as we are one. We can't do it without the glory of God. But when the people of the world see something so glorious that it looks like God, they say there is God. That is why the unity of the church is how we preach best. They will know that the Father sent Jesus out of love when people do radical things, Acts chapter 2 type things. See, when you read Acts chapter 2 in the end verses, it describes a church that was so united, they came together, they broke bread, they took care of the needs of each other. It doesn't say, well, they agreed, they were all Calvinists, they were all Arminianists, they were all Republicans, they were all Democrats, they were united. No, no. I'm pretty sure that that church in Acts chapter 2, there was different people that felt differently about the, the, the Roman Empire and how to fit in the Roman Empire. They all had different political views, I'm sure of it. They probably have different expectations about how eventually the Jewish people should become free. But they were united in a way that was based on how they behaved with each other and not necessarily on agreement, not cerebral agreement, that glorious unity that is also diverse, that's what we're trying to mimic. See, Jesus gives us the glory to look like him so that we may be one. 
and so that the world may know that you sent Jesus. Point number three. This is the real game changer. I already hinted at it. Unity is not a concept, but rather it is a conduct only possible through God. Unity is not a concept. It's not an agreement on political issues or anything of the sort. It's not an agreement on theological issues necessarily. It is only possible through God, and it's a conduct. Now, I have to make a small parenthesis here, because if I focus too much on the unity of conduct, I may send the wrong message that unity means we can all have different beliefs about God and Jesus. There are what Christians typically call essential beliefs, okay? And so uh, most churches, most evangelical churches at least, have these essential beliefs, things that C.S. Lewis calls mere Christianity, right? He even published a book, one of my favorite books, uh, called Mere Christianity, where he just describes kind of like the, the essential the guidelines, or beliefs, rather, of every Christian and how to arrive at them, regardless of de- denomination. So there are some basics. There, are, there is a oneness of what we believe, But how far we go into that, theological preferences, really deep concepts, if that is becoming an impediment to conduct of unity, then that's a problem. See, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be one of you here that's a Calvinist or an Arminianist or one of you here that believes in one form of a certain theological perspective or another. I'm saying that shouldn't prevent conduct that's united. Because we can be diverse and united, right? I can believe in one theological concept that's a little very specific, and maybe you believe in another one, but we have the mere basic Christianity we believe in, and we have conduct. There is a passage that I'm going to share with you that is not in John, and this passage is important because it emphasizes both. This passage shows us that I do not have to sacrifice basic essential beliefs that everyone agrees on for the sake of conduct. I can be united with my people in my church through conduct, and there's going to be some essential beliefs that we all have, even though we might have distinctions in some of the very specifics. Ephesians chapter 4. Make sure to write this one down. um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 I think it's going to be on the screen. And it really shows us that there is a oneness to the faith. There there is an essential doctrine that we believe in. But the unity is also emphasized in how we conduct ourselves, not in the specifics. Paul speaks in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. He says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk conduct. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility conduct, and gentleness conduct, with patience conduct, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's saying, maintain it, don't create it. The unity's already there. (laughs) Don't create it, it's there. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. 
not a varied hope, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Here's what's crazy. One God, while, did you notice that it actually shows us the Trinity there? Spirit, one Lord, God and Father, unity with diversity. We must have that Trinitarian type of unity and diversity. But again, conduct, which was verses 1 through 2, does not sacrifice that there is an essential doctrine that we believe in. And I, 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 I'm making a pause in this sermon right now to emphasize that because, it, again, it's not that we don't have a specific faith. We do. And we have to be careful. We're not throwing a specific faith out the door either. This is an important thing. And because it's so important, I'm going to emphasize a few more verses about this. Paul tells us in Galatians that if anyone preaches you a gospel different than the one that you were taught, let him be accursed. Paul was very specific. Don't you dare preach a gospel different than the one that preaches that we can't save ourselves and Jesus died for us and we are saved by grace through faith. Don't you dare preach that. That's, that's his chapter one of Galatians and from there he moves on to say like, this is the gospel it's the gospel of Jesus, not the gospel of the Jewish nation or of the Gentiles or of the Greeks. It is the gospel of Jesus. So there is an essential belief that we all should agree on as Christians because that's what makes us a disciple. But once we become a disciple, there can be diversity in other areas. What's that basic essential belief? Paul sums it up for us in what's traditionally attributed to be in the New Testament by scholars as one of the earliest creeds in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is not on the screen. I added it before uh, stepping up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. That's the essential gospel. He died for our sins and he resurrected. Here's a little more to add to that. Of course, Jesus is God. The Spirit is God. The Father is God. They are one. We needed salvation because we are all sinners. But after that, you can get into some very complex and really good theological waters worth exploring. Just don't let it ruin your conduct. What conduct? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Do we have that conduct? I, I have a very strong opinionated personality, so I tend to break away from humility <laughs> when I argue with someone that disagrees on me. And I get very factual and very cerebral because I'm a mathematician. And I forget that the first thing Paul tells me there is to be humble. To listen. To listen. Not to talk. I talk too much. That's why I'm up here. Because <laughs> I talk too much. To be humble. In another verse, I think in Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us, that we're supposed to mimic Christ who did not grasp his, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he became humble. That's the type of unifying conduct that we're supposed to mimic. 
Considering others is more important than ourselves, it says in Philippians 2. That's the type of conduct that we're supposed to mimic. So let's, let's to, to end the sermon, to, to, to kind of take away something important with us about what unity looks like, let's talk about what it practically looks like. Conduct, not cerebral agreement. Conduct. Here's what it looks like. James 5.16 we're told to pray for one another. Pray for one another, even for those you dislike, <laughs> especially for those you dislike. And pray for yourself, too, because you dislike that person. <laughs> Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do I walk into an argument or do I submit to them? <laughs> It's not that you can't have your opinion. I'm, I'm not saying that. But do we have this meek, humble, gentle approach, gentleness, humility? Or do we want to win an argument? Do we want to win a Facebook argument or a Twitter argument? You know what's crazy? Just a small parenthesis before I keep mentioning these. The other day in Twitter, I found a, a post where someone said, a divinity student, a divinity student, he's a Christian, a divinity student, started a thread on Twitter that was called, Name Your Most Overrated Theologians. That's not conduct, that's unity. Name your most overrated theologians. And people, Christians, went at it. And they had fun. And as he says, the person that posted this, they even threw shade at each other. And he was like, oh, this is fun. That's not the conduct of gentleness, humility, and love that Jesus calls us to. Christians sometimes, not all of them, but a lot, not a lot of them at least, don't get unity. They just don't get it. It's like, what, what, well, what did Calvin say? I'm sorry, no, I'm, I'm more of a, this type of theologian than that one. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Encourage one another and build one another up. Conduct, that's what unity is. We said pray for one another, submit to one another out of reference for Christ. Encourage one another and build one another up. Do we have these qualities? The good news, by the way, is if, if you're like, oh man, I, I, I'm like Ricardo. I sometimes just don't do that. The difference is that if we're, if we're a Christian we don't, we don't struggle with condemnation. We're convicted. Convicted in the sense that Brian and Jason had described. I'm, oh, my convictions, this is what I should do. Not, oh, I'm in trouble, I got caught. As Christians, we know, therefore, now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven, you're set apart. Set apart the way that God is set apart from us in his holiness. As Christians, it's done, game over. You're saved if you are a true, repentant, living out for Jesus Christian. So if that is you, don't feel condemned. Be convicted and say, oh, man, I should do that. Yeah, next time. Next time I'm going to make sure that I focus on praying for that person I dislike, submitting to them. Ooh, that's hard. Encouraging one another and building each other up, sharing uh, scripture and praying for each other and encouraging to, to do the things that Jesus calls us to do. 
Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how to stir one another, or uh, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we encourage one another, yes, but we also encourage one another through coming here and meeting with our grow groups. We have to. Otherwise, how can I stir one another up to love? Here's what happens. Service ends, and we share a few good laughs. Some of us go to lunch, and that's it. And then see you next Sunday. We have to be invested into each other's lives to stir up one another to love and good works. We have to do that. Not neglecting to meet. We don't come to church out of religious duty. We come to church because we love it. Because we want to encourage each other. We want to grow and we want to grow others through God. In John chapter 17, now coming back to the chapter that we're in. In John chapter 17, Jesus tells us how it is that we can accomplish this. Because you can just focus too much on, okay, I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be loving towards others. I'm going to submit. I'm going you can, to, you can do a to-do list, but that's religion. Jesus prayed for the one thing that causes us to be that way. The one thing that causes us to have a conduct that's uniting is him. We can't do it in our own sinful nature. I can't, for sure. It has to be rooted in him. It was so important that Jesus prayed for it. He prayed that we be empowered to them to do that. In John 17, in that same prayer, but a few verses earlier, in verse 11, the first, one of the first times he talks, or I think the first time he talks about the, the unity, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. It's because God keeps us as Christians. It's by his work that we can do this conduct. It's by being rooted in him, established in him, praying to him, seeking him daily, and remembering the love that he has for us, and the model of the Trinity, that I can then be diverse in the body, but united. In verse 22, that same chapter, we already read this verse, says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. So it's really rooted in him. So seek the conduct of unity. But remember, it's not in your power. It's not in your ability. The conduct of unity is rooted in him. It's empowered by him. It's modeled by him in the Trinity. I have to look to him. I have to seek him. I have to pray to him to give me that capacity. Otherwise, I will never achieve true uniting conduct. See, a conduct that's just a to-do list, I'm going to be more humble and more gentle and all that good stuff, that'll last a few weeks. <laughs> then someone will annoy you, and it's over. <laughs> a to-do list does nothing. It does nothing. The to-do list must be empowered by the glory of God. It must be empowered by the fact that the Father himself keeps me. So I should seek to be united the way that Jesus is united to the Father. Him and the Father are distinct but one. And so it's true about all of us. 
as the worship band comes back up. I want us to really think about these things because I, look, I'm, I'm just being honest here. I struggle with this. I, I, my mom always told me that I shouldn't be a mathematician. I should have been a lawyer because I argue a lot. She always told me that. Um, I have strong opinions. I struggle with this. But remember, Jesus isn't calling you to be equal in mentality to that person. Be diverse. Be distinct. Listen to the opinions of others. Actually listen. Actually listen. Please. Actually listen. Humbly consider those perspectives. You don't have to change your mind. But have a conduct that's uniting while you are diverse. Let's pray. Father, we, we come humbly before you because we admit we cannot do this on our own. We just can't. And especially when we realize that you're calling us to be united the way the Father and the Son are united. I, I agree with Francis Chan. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't understand that. But Father, we know that you gave us glory to display such a unity that the world scratches its head and says, that's God. He sent Jesus to die for me. I want, I want some of that. A unity that doesn't make sense in the most desperate time where unity is most needed. Where divisiveness is all there is and divisiveness breeds divisiveness. Father, bring us together. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it through your glory and through the fact that you keep us and you sanctify us. Your word in that same prayer says that you sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. May we read your word and be sanctified through it and become more like you. May we look like the Trinity. May we be so diverse and yet united that the world wants some of that, that they want to experience God we pray often as a church for revival. The way revival comes is by our unity as a church. Even here in Redlands, Father, there's so many churches. May we not be focused on this church versus that church. May we be united under one common cause of bringing people to the fold. We pray for a unity that's so radical that people will want to taste it. We pray all of this in your name. And we pray also for the tithes and offerings, Father. I'm going to pray for that as well as the ushers come forth. That the tithes and offerings would also be a display of something radical. Radical generosity that doesn't make sense. That people at the mission would not be a people that gives out of guilt, but out of radical generosity. As it says in the, world, in the word, that they gave... Even in poverty, they gave because they wanted to love other people, Father. Father, this is for a cause, not for a person that we give. We give, we give for the kingdom, and we give as a display of our worshipful hearts towards you. May our hearts be stirred up, and may we stir each other up to give radically as well, Father. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.